This is episode 24 of HD Reality. This is part two of a two-part series about perfectionism. Today we're talking about alternatives to perfectionism and why they can be difficult to adopt. Welcome to HD Reality with Courtney Cable. As a member of a Huntington's disease family and a certified life coach, I'm here to help you navigate the unique challenges of Huntington's disease. This podcast is dedicated to everyone affected by HD, including individuals with HD, their loved ones, and their care partners. Together, we'll explore practical mental and emotional tools to help you overcome the obstacles that arise with this diagnosis. Join me as we define our own HD reality. Keep listening and let the transformation begin. So for the entire first episode on perfectionism, we just talked about why perfectionism can be such a problem. And with all of those reasons, it's kind of interesting that perfectionism is still really hard for a lot of us to let go of. Even with all of those negative results, why is it so hard for us to let go of this goal of being perfect? Why can't we just throw the idea out of being a perfect parent, a perfect partner, or anything else, and just move on and be content with our efforts? This is where a lot of us get stuck. We see the problems that perfectionism creates, but to stop trying to be perfect feels counterintuitive. And an alternative that a lot of people rush to suggest is something along the lines of, well, just try your best. You're not going to be perfect. No one's perfect, but just try your best. This one doesn't work for me because it leaves me panicking trying to figure out what my best is. How do you know if you've done your best? I look back on my day and I'm wondering, was that really my best? Could I have tried harder? I just don't know. All we've done is replace do perfectly with do your best and then added a little sprinkle of self-deprecation where we tell ourselves that our best really ought to be perfect or pretty close to it. Or we tell ourselves that our best probably isn't as good as someone else's best because we're just not as good as everyone else. So here are four other more productive alternatives to perfectionist thinking that you can try on. And these are just a couple different ways to approach it, to combat that perfectionist thinking. And you don't have to pick one. They can all work together really well. But you might have a favorite that feels especially in reach for you right now or applicable or just really kind of hits home for you. So here is number one. You might have heard people talking about trying to shoot for 80% instead of 100%. So does letting go of perfectionism mean not having goals and high expectations for myself? No. If I stop trying to be perfect, then what do I aim for? And the suggestion with this rule, this 80% rule, is to shoot for 80%. But that comes with a really big fear for most of us of if I lower my standards or expectations then won't I also lower my performance? If I stop aiming for perfection, won't I not try as hard and then not achieve as much? Because if I've been aiming this whole time for 100% and really only getting about 80%, then if I start aiming for 80%, I'll probably just lower to getting 65%. Because I think that if I let go of perfectionism, That means I'm going to stop caring about the quality of my work as much and I'm not going to work as hard and the quality of my work will go down. And work here, 
I'm just using to mean anything you do, what you do on a day-to-day basis, how you care for things and people, so your children, your spouse, your parents, managing the house or the yard or finances, whatever it is that you do that you find yourself judging and having some perfectionist thinking around, that's, that's what I mean by work. And all of these doubts and fears come from the belief that you don't meet your own expectations. Believing that lowering your standards is going to lower your achievement carries the assumption that you will underperform no matter what. So you might as well aim high so that when you fall below your expectations, at least you're still pretty good. So when we're coming from perfectionism, we've been shooting for 100% our whole lives and not been reaching it. So you carry this belief that you don't reach your goals, whether you set that goal at 100% or 80%. So it's all coming back down to this belief that you don't have what it takes to meet your expectations. And remember that when you are shooting for 100% and not reaching it, this touches on what we talked about last week, you're not reaching that 100% because it's literally impossible to do. Perfection is not possible for us in this life on this earth. And as long as you've been carrying that perfection mindset, you've stored up tons and tons of evidence for yourself that you don't meet your own expectations. So here we are presented with another example of where we need to rewrite that belief. We have a belief about ourselves and we need to change it by finding evidence for the new belief we want to switch it to, which is I am capable of reaching my goals. So here are three ways that you can build your confidence in yourself that you can meet your own expectations. Number one is to start setting goals that are a little bit easier to reach because then you'll have that evidence towards that new belief that you do meet those expectations because they're easier to reach. But while you do this, recognize that the deeply rooted belief that you don't meet those expectations is going to be subconsciously working against you and you're going to have to fight that and a good bridge thought for you might be I might be able to do this or success here is a possibility for me and that might give you just enough belief to stretch and achieve that goal and then you have that under your belt that you can use as evidence that you do meet your expectations. I do this with my to-do lists. Some days I'm feeling great and I make my to-do list like normal. Other days I just, it's just a harder day. And so I'll put showering and eating breakfast on my to-do list, even though those are things that I can sometimes do without even thinking about it. Some days I put them on my list just so that I have something to check off because those easy wins can be really, really powerful, especially when you're fighting overwhelm and self-doubt. Second thing you can do to build confidence that you're able to meet your own expectations is to find evidence, find places where you have done 80% work. So look around at some of the things that you may have been holding yourself to perfection or 100% that you had thought were failures because you didn't reach that 100%. And look at the work you actually did there. You might have counted as a failure because you didn't reach 100%, but maybe you did 80% work. And so you can see that evidence like, yes, I didn't do perfectly. And back then I was working towards perfect, but what I did was actually 80% work and that's great. And when you do that, you might notice some shame that might come up because you still have that belief that 80% isn't good enough. So notice in your mind, if you're saying, hey, I did an 80% job on that and that's great versus, hey, I did an 80% job on that, but it really should have been 100%. I'm a failure because it wasn't 100%. I'm not good enough. 
yada, 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 go down that whole spiral of perfectionism, right? And I want to point out that this requires a lot of honesty and a really clear view of yourself and your work. And we're not always in a spot where that's feasible. When we're really down or depressed, our mind is going to fight all of these things and come back with, no, that, you know what, that wasn't even 80% work. That was like 40% work. That was 20% work. I did so bad on that. And you just can't see your own efforts clearly enough. So this might be an exercise that needs to wait until that storm passes or eases up a little bit. Or maybe this is where a neutral third party can be really helpful to step in. Because sometimes people who love us, we know that they're likely to say that everything we do is wonderful and and it's hard to believe them when they say that because we know they're biased. This is where a coach can be really helpful because a coach is going to be completely neutral and unbiased and help you see things the way they are, separated from the beliefs you have that might be distorting your view. Third way to build confidence that you're able to achieve your goals is to notice tasks where 100% effort or 100% performance really isn't necessary. And you might think, well, why wouldn't I want to give every single task my all? Well, because if you gave your all in that one thing, then you wouldn't have anything else to give to all the other tasks in your life. You have priorities and values that are naturally guiding you to not give 100% to everything. And I promise there are a lot of things we do every day that really just don't need to be perfect. Compared to other things on my to-do list that are more important to me, an 80% job on mowing the lawn is totally fine. Or an 80% effort dishwasher loading. Maybe some of the dishes need to be rewashed. That's okay with me because I have other things on my list that are more important. This makes it easier to say 80% here is good enough. And from the previous steps, I have evidence that I'm capable of doing 80% work. So when I'm thinking through my day and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I'm such a failure because I didn't perfectly load the dishwasher, I can say, no, no, you know what? Other things were a lot more important to me than doing a perfect job loading that dishwasher. That job required 80% and I gave it 80% and I'm okay with that. So that's the idea behind the 80% rule. That fear that lowering your expectations will lower your performance comes from the belief that you're incapable of reaching your goals, which has been deeply reinforced by perfectionism because perfection is impossible. So rewrite that belief by building evidence and confidence that you are capable of 80% work and that a lot of the time 80% is all you want or need for a given task and you're making that decision based on commitment to your priorities and values. So that's the 80% rule. The second idea that can help chip away at perfectionism is finding better reasons for your efforts and your work. Notice that the fear that lowering your goal of perfection will lower your performance still attaches your worth to your performance for most of us. Because lowering my performance is only really an issue in this case because I'm still believing that it would mean something about me and my character and my value. If I didn't care that my performance was lower, if that wasn't a problem, then that probably means I don't attach it to my worth. So if the reason we want to do something well is to prove our own worth to ourselves or others, we will stay stuck in that perfectionism trap. So the way out then is to find other reasons to do whatever you're doing. 
So if you're saying to yourself, I need to prepare a balanced meal every day for dinner in order to believe that I am not a worthless piece of garbage, that's very different from, I'm going to try to eat a balanced dinner every day because I love my body and I feel better when I eat healthy food. See how it's the same goal, but totally different reasons behind it. And you have to be really honest and candid with yourself when you're trying to observe your own mind because it's really easy when I put those two thoughts side by side for you to look at them and say, oh, for sure, I am the one saying I'm going to try to eat a balanced meal because I love my body. It's like we know that's the preferred answer. So it's really easy to just tell ourselves that we're in that camp where we're doing things out of love rather than constantly trying to run from shame. But that's not going to do you any good if the truth is that Sometimes you do think failing in some self-defined way means that you're a bad or worthless person. We, you can't fix a problem that you don't acknowledge. And covering up that problem with another problem, just layering shame on top of the problem, keeping it hidden, isn't going to help you fix it any faster. It's not going to help you get where you want to go. So be really honest with yourself and be ready to process any shame that might come up. So to sum up this second tactic... Clarifying your why, your reason for trying to do something well, helps to detach performance from worth, gives you a clear motivation for doing that thing, and makes whether you achieve that goal not to be so heavy, which actually makes us more likely to accomplish it. So moving on to method number three is clarifying your definitions. Definitions are so, so important. Misunderstandings, large and small, almost always come down to a definition problem. Our definitions don't line up with with each other. So if there's an argument between partners and one is saying that the partner is cheating and the other one is saying that they're not cheating, it's because they're defining cheating differently. If someone says, you're not listening to me and you say, yes, I am, you are both defining listening differently. And just think of all the debates and arguments and wars over people's various definitions of what is good and what is right. We define those things differently and it gets us into a lot of messy situations. How we define things determines so much of how we think, feel, and act. And we have definitions for ourselves for what it means to be a good caregiver, a good daughter or son, or a responsible adult, a good parent, a good human being. The list goes on and on. But what determines who fits in those categories? The definitions of those categories. So look closely at how this is showing up for you in your life. Look at the standard you're holding yourself to and be honest with yourself because you might think you're trying to be a good partner when in fact you're holding yourself to the standard of a perfect partner and criticizing yourself whenever you fall short because you've defined good to mean perfect. So if you're living with a lot of shame coming from the belief that you're a bad caregiver, it's possible that you're defining a bad caregiver as anyone who isn't what you would consider to be a perfect caregiver. So we fall into the trap of believing that good equals perfect and that anything other than perfect is not good or even bad. And it all comes down to how we define those things. For another school analogy, do you remember when for certain projects, the teacher would give out a grading rubric? I used to love these because it was so specific and it had really clear criteria for what type of work would receive what grade and what was expected in order to get the A or the 100% and you always knew where all the points were coming from and it was so clear and I loved it for that. Sometimes when we're grading ourselves, 
when we're evaluating ourselves, it feels like we're being graded more on a pass-fail system rather than percentages or letter grades, and we never give ourselves clear rubrics. Everything becomes super black and white. It's either good or it's bad. It's right or it's wrong. It's perfect or it's a failure. Like at the end of the day, instead of taking pride in all of the wins and recognizing the areas we would like to improve without shame, we just have this one giant question looming over our heads. Am I good enough? And we try to answer that as a yes or no question. And we can work on changing that black and white way of thinking. But at the same time, let's actually give ourselves a clear rubric. Are you good enough? What's the criteria? And this is where it's so important to get in there, get specific, and intentionally define the criteria you want. Because otherwise, our naturally perfectionist minds are going to focus on anything it can possibly find that it thinks is wrong. Even if there's just one flaw, then it isn't perfect. And if it isn't perfect, it isn't worthy. Right? Well, wrong. But your subconscious doesn't know that yet. So what does it look like to deliberately set that criteria? We all have identities that we're trying to live into as a parent or a partner or a child or a friend. So for the identities that are super important to you, use your personal value system to come up with about two to five criteria that are achievable. And by achievable, I mean doable, feasible, so not perfection because we've already established that that's not doable. It needs to be within reach. So around that 80%, this is a good place to use that 80% rule, but you don't want to put the bar so low to something like, oh, my heart pumped blood today because we want to be pushing for that growth, right? We naturally want to push for growth. And then in order for it to be achievable, it also has to be in your control. So your criteria can't be something that is in someone else's power. So we'll go over some examples. An example of a criteria you might have as a parent might be, I acted and made decisions out of love at least 80% of the time. It's achievable because we've gone for that 80%. It's based on your values and it's related to that identity. And it's not getting so nitpicky and if you miss even one thing, then you've missed the mark completely. Another one might be, I showed up with integrity at my job. Things that wouldn't work as well would be something like, five people said good job to me today. That doesn't work because it's outside of your control. You can't control whether or not people say that to you. Or, I smiled the entire day. That's just not really practical or doable. Or, I breathed air today. It's achievable, but it's probably not going to be satisfying for you to reach that goal because it's a little bit too easy. So, for example, it's important to me that I'm a good wife to my husband. That's one of the things that when I'm going to bed each night, it's like, was I a good wife to my husband today? I know that I'm not working towards being a perfect wife, but I do want to see if I'm living up to being what I define as a good wife. So here's my rubric for being a good wife. I was loyal to my partner in thoughts, words, and actions. I was a support to my partner emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And I acted out of honesty and integrity to build and grow our relationship. Notice that they're fairly broad, whereas my perfectionist brain would say, I have to check every single box in order to believe that I was a good enough wife today. And some of those boxes might be, 
having dinner ready and waiting when he gets home from work, or never having to hand wash a pair of undies because I forgot to do the laundry, or always be in the best physical shape to make sure I stay attractive to him, or never leave dishes in the sink, always be cheerful and never feel the need to share my problems with him. And then if any of those boxes aren't checked, then I automatically failed. You want to make it something that under pretty much any circumstance, this is a way you can show up and be who you want to be rather than really specific nitpicky things of specific things that you have to do or not do and then you failed if you don't do them. So at the end of the day, I can say that overall I was a good wife today. Are there things I can improve on? Yes. But I know those things that I need to improve on don't mean that I'm a bad wife because I haven't defined it that way. And do I meet these criteria every day? No, but I do most days because I made sure to make them achievable. So I would go through this and do the same thing for the other identities that are important to me, like being a good mother and being a good Christian. But I would be cautious about making these identities too narrow. Because once you start making rubrics for being a a good parent and a good child and a good friend and a good pet owner and a good grocery shopper and citizen and neighbor and holiday celebrator, it just gets to be too much, right? So those other identities are good and important, but I would stick to the top two or three to go through this process with. Otherwise, the checklist just becomes massive again. You'll get overwhelmed and you're not any better off than when you started. I also want to point out that this system requires you to make some observations, evaluations, and judgments of how you did, which if you struggle with perfectionism, you've been doing all along. But I want you to remember that these judgments you make of yourself and your work are flexible and susceptible to being tinted by your current beliefs about yourself. We talk about looking through rose-colored glasses and how we can have our beliefs kind of filter our observations through this lens and we can see them differently. So if you're trying to move away from being overly critical of yourself, it's going to take effort to notice the good things you're doing every day. Your judgment of how well you did will create your belief about how well you do what you do, which will propel you towards doing that well in the future. So if you tell yourself you did badly, then you're going to believe that you're bad at doing that thing. And believing that you're bad at doing that thing will become your future reality. So that belief to observation back to belief cycle is really strong and it's kind of a chicken or the egg type situation. But you can break that cycle and change the course of that subconscious mind when you get in there and question your own definitions. What do you think it means to be a good such and such? Write them down and by getting really clear on what's important to you, helps you to let go of the smaller, less consequential criteria that you might have been expecting of yourself. So the fourth and final tactic we can use to try and combat some of this perfectionist thinking is the idea of leveling up. So instead of thinking, how can I be perfect at this? We can try, what could I do that could take me to the next level of this? Or how can I become the next version of myself in this area? So Right now, at the time of recording, the latest iPhone is an iPhone 15. And I think they used that numbering system for a reason. They didn't call the very first iPhone the iPhone version 1. They didn't call it the best iPhone and then come out with the perfect iPhone and then a gold and diamond and platinum and perfect most bestest iPhone. They just used numbers 
so that they always had somewhere to go from there. So a 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, that way they can go all the way to infinity. There's no final stage. Perfectionism, a lot of the time, is about having an idea of an end goal. But what if there isn't one? What if you just get to be better and better and better? So this is the idea of leveling up. So instead of trying to be perfect or trying to reach some kind of end goal, we just think about it as leveling up. Okay, I was Courtney 2.0, now I'm Courtney 3.0, and someday I'll be Courtney version 100. I don't know. So how do you know what level you're at? The answer to that is I have no clue. You totally get to choose because you're not going to accidentally stumble across infinity before you've reached perfection because both infinity and perfection are unreachable. So there's no need to pace yourself or space out the numbers in any way. It's completely arbitrary. You can go by ones or tens or hundreds, thousands, doesn't matter. Just pick somewhere and call that your level. And then how do you know when you've leveled up? Once again, you totally get to choose. But it's fun to do it frequently because who doesn't love a dopamine hit? And telling yourself that you've leveled up also helps push that belief to reality cycle in the direction you want it to go. So if you notice something you did really well and you say, wow, I just leveled up to Courtney version 87. That makes it a little easier to keep moving forward and leave Courtney versions 86 behind. So that begs the question, can we move backwards? Can we level down? I don't think so. I don't think that's a helpful way to think about it. And just philosophically, I don't think that's how it works. If you go back to the iPhone example, there were some people that really preferred the iPhone 11 over the iPhone 12. They thought the earlier version was actually better. But that doesn't mean that Apple went back and changed the name of the iPhone 12 and changed it to the iPhone 10.5 as if it wasn't as good as the iPhone 11. They still called it the iPhone 12 and the next one they came out with was iPhone 13 and they just kept going. The only difference was people just didn't like the iPhone 12. And I actually have no idea if that's actually true that people like the iPhone 12 more than the iPhone 11. I just completely made that up as a hypothetical to demonstrate that you can't really go backwards because that would mean removing experience from yourself. You'd have to like take that experience away for you to actually digress or downgrade, so to speak. And that's impossible. You're always moving forward. You're changing flavors. You're changing versions. And liking you version 6 more than you version 5 just means that you version 7 has even more information and experience than it would if you had just stayed version 5. You still changed. You still developed. I also want to point out that assigning ourselves these arbitrary numbers as levels is not about comparison. We aren't giving ourselves these levels so that we can go around thinking about what level everyone else might be on. Just like the smartphones, it's like if the iPhone versions were comparing themselves to the Samsung Galaxy. So the latest version of each is the iPhone 15 and the Samsung Galaxy S23. So the Samsung Galaxy S23 doesn't automatically say that it's better just because it's a higher number than iPhone 15. They aren't on the same scale. It's a completely different number line. They're using different units and there's no conversion factor. People endlessly debate whether the latest iPhone or the Galaxy is better, but it's pretty universally accepted that the latest iPhone is better than the first iPhone that came out. Same with the Galaxy. The Galaxy S26 is better in every way than the Galaxy S6. 
So the only comparisons of value are the comparisons of the latest version to an earlier version of the same thing. So Courtney version 5 is better than Courtney version 1, but Courtney being at version 5 means nothing about you being at level 10. Levels aren't about scores or labels or standardizing. It just presents a visual image of a number line that stretches on and on, just like you and your potential. So I'm here, wherever here is, you get to choose that arbitrary number, and you have unlimited opportunities for growth. And throughout all of that, we want to remember that growth does not determine your worth or value. Because believing that growth determines your worth or value, or that your performance determines your worth or value, is what creates perfectionist thinking in the first place. So to quickly recap the four alternatives to perfectionism, number one was to play with that idea of 80%. Maybe 80% is just right. Maybe it's exactly what's needed for the task, and you are capable of 80%. Whereas 100% is impossible for anyone. Number two is to find reasons for your efforts that don't attach your worth to the outcomes. Number three is to give yourself simple, clearly defined rubrics for the areas that are important to you to keep you from being distracted by every single small imperfection you might find. And number four is to understand that you're constantly developing with infinite ways to uplevel yourself rather than constantly running up against the impossible goal of perfection and feeling like you're constantly falling short. You're just continuing to evolve. Thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Did you know that I'm offering mini coaching sessions completely free? Go to helpforthecaregiver.com to schedule one now. If you found value in this podcast, share it with your communities, spreading the power of these tools to more people. Find me on Instagram or Facebook at Courtney Cable Coaching for ongoing interaction, valuable content, and additional resources. For personalized support, visit my website to view my affordable coaching programs or to schedule a free mini coaching session or consultation call. Thank you for joining HD Reality, and I can't wait for our next conversation.